I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen. This is our Giro d'Italia preview brought to you by LaCole. You might have noticed something different about the podcast logo and on the podcast YouTube channel We've partnered with the Lacole for the Giro d'Italia, so all of our Giro d'Italia podcasts, including this preview, is brought to you by Lacole. And we'll get into the preview pod in a second, and it's going to be a beast, just like the Tour de France one. We'll be providing all of our picks, etc., for every stage, for GC, all the jerseys as well. But just at the outset, I want to give a little bit of an introduction about how the partnership came about, because it's not like a, maybe some of the other sponsorships or partnerships you might have seen with people on the internet. Like I've been talking to... Nicole and the guys there for quite a while, actually. Uh, their founder and CEO, Yanto, I think he we were talking about his his view on my Movistar Vuelta Espana attacking Roglic when he crashed video back last year. So they're really big fans of the channel and the content and road racing and just road racing. So that's why it made sense uh, for them to come on board and for us to partner together for the Giro d'Italia and the podcast going forward. A bit of background about Lacole. They're a UK company. They've got an Italian factory where the kit is made. And obviously, they've got a French name, Lacole. They produce road cycling kits only. You'll obviously also know that they're kits in the World Tour. They're the providers for Bahrain McLaren. Uh, they do a lot of wind tunnel testing, aerodynamics testing between Yanto, their founder, and McLaren with the Bahrain McLaren kit. And all of their performance apparel is made in Italy in their factory at the base of Monte Grappa, where, in fact, stage 17 if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Fair Factory is at the base of that climb. But yeah, that's a bit of an introduction to Lacole and how the partnership came about. If you want to check them out, a link to their websites in the show notes or in the YouTube channel or video description. But throughout the Giro, we'll be rolling out a few extra things, so stay tuned for that later. Benji, what is the structure of this Giro preview podcast going to look like? We're going to do it very similarly to our Bing Bang Tour preview of last week. We're going to venture into who we see as the potential favourites for this whole Grand Tour. We're going to talk about the sprinters that are aligned at the start line here and go into some other riders that we feel might be important in the stages. And afterwards, we'll take a deep dive into parkour because the Giro d'Italia, basically my favorite Grand Tour. And one thing that is a very important factor in that is the fact that every year the parkour of the Giro is so beautiful. I feel like it's so well planned as well. Sometimes we do have longer flat stages, which annoys me a tiny bit because... Usually we see a lot of that and then it's not exactly as entertaining until the last 10-ish kilometers. But have to be honest, I am very intrigued by the mountains in Italy and the way they're planned out in these stages. The third week of this Grand Tour is a monster, genuinely, and we'll dive into that as well. So afterwards, we'll also be picking our predictions because we had some amazing and some terrible predictions last time with the Tour de France. I was able to luckily predict Pogaccia for the Tour de France. So uh, this is your time to take some revenge. So GC favourites, let's start with an overview. Who are the favourites? Who's on their teams? The hot favourite, he's like $2.40 
on Betfair, so much shorter than even Primoz Roglic was before the Tour de France started, is the man who didn't get picked for Ineos at the Tour de France, which kind of looks like a masterstroke in hindsight, Grant Thomas for the Ineos Grenadiers. They seem to be keeping the Grenadiers' name, and they've brought an interesting team, Ineos. It's strong. It's, it's incredibly strong in certain aspects, but also lacking some yeah some talent in the mountains to help Grant Thomas and I think there's more mountains in the Giro than than people are thinking but the whole team is Thomas Jonathan Castroviejo the Spanish time trial specialist or man for the man for all, all stages really backing up after the Tour de France Rowan Dennis TT specialist Philip Ergana TT specialist and engine Teo Gagenhart the British rider Jonathan Narvaez and Salvatore Puccio, the veteran, and Ben Swift, the, the sprinter. Uh, I guess he's a sprinter. Benji, if people haven't seen, what sort of rider is Narvaez? Because he might be the, the name most unfamiliar to people in that team. Can Because this, this team looks to be a bit short on climbing uh, to me. Very strong on the flat stages and rolling stages and shorter climbs. But yeah, is Narvaez going to be any help in the mountains for, for Thomas? In general, I do want to give a, a broader idea of what Narvaez can do. I think a few years back, he started at the Koenig Quickstep. Not sure if it was called the Koenig Quickstep bike then, but he was in that team and was mainly sent to smaller Belgian cobble classics, which was a bit weird because in his youth years, he seemed to lean a, mo- a lot more to climbing. So I feel like the Koenig might not have been the good starting spot for this youngster. But after that, Ineos picked him up and he did Tour de Wallonie earlier this year. Was really good at that. I think he came relatively close in GC as well. I'm generally not sure how close, but he was in the attack in multiple stages to try and gain seconds. And he was better on the hilly stages. I don't know about his current capabilities of climbing. I think he's going to be a good helper though. I don't think he's going to be bad at climbing. But in general, like you said, Ineos team... Not with super domestiques here. And that is, I think, where the difference lies. Because I think it's Euro and Dennis, a Filippo Ghana, a Ben Swift as well, Gegenhard, Castroviejo, they all can climb. Gegenhard was solid at Vuelta last year. He was actually selected as co-leader for the Vuelta as his first try last year with Wout Pools. But in the second stage, they both lost like 10 minutes. So that plan was very quickly done. And... Afterwards, he came out and tried to go for stages. He came close on one, I think, just behind Sepp Kuss on one of the mountain stages. I think Ruben Guerrero of EF, who's also at this Giro, was doing very well as well there. So I think Gegenhardt is going to be one of the uh, most important climbers for Thomas here, to be honest. Ben Swift has shown that he is a solid domestique as well in the mountains. Was really good in the Tour de Polonia last year when it comes to the actual climbing stage, the hill stages. So. I would say that he's a sprinter, but I feel like Ben Swift is more than that. I feel like he's mainly good at sprinting at Milano San Remo, and outside of that, he's good at cobbles, he's good at climbing. A bit like a boss on Hagen when he was riding for Ineos, but yeah, Boston Hagen was a tiny bit more worthy as a domestique for the team back then, I think. Then Salvatore Puccio, I think he is going to be the uh, person I expect the least from. And I don't know, it feels like he's somewhat of a Christian Knez in this team, a bit of a road captain, but his age does not really shout road captain to me. So I'm not sure what role he's going to play in Ineos, genuinely. 
Filippo Gunn and Rohan Dennis are a bit of a question mark for me. Dennis was great at Tour de Suisse last year when it comes to his climbing, so he might be a very important factor in the train of Thomas because I feel like they're going to use their train tactic once again. But Ghana, he was good at San Juan, was not up there with the best of climbers, but he's able to sustain a, a proper wattage in climbing as well, next to obviously in time trawling. But it's going to be a bit of a question mark. Castro Viejo, we know he's good. And he was amazing at the Dauphiné or Tour de la, where he was one of the best super domestiques at Ineos, but in the Tour de France, it never really came out. So I'm curious. I'm curious what it's going to give. Geraint Thomas is obviously the main favorite, according to the bookies. And honestly, according to me as well. So it's important that his team can support him. And I think the team here, compared to the Tour de France team, the Tour de France team disappointed. And I think from this team onwards, I feel if they don't succeed at being a, a strong team surrounding Thomas, then it might not feel like a disappointment. So I feel like they can just do better than expected from this point onwards. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people actually have realized how short Thomas is in the markets and yeah, how clear-cut it is that he's the first favorite. I've had people say, oh, is it between him and Nibali? I'm like, Nibali is well out to 15s and Thomas is very short. And the reason he is the clear favorite is because of the three time trials in this Giro. There's only a couple of, there are a couple of beastly mountain stages, but it's not constant mountain stages. There's one stage that goes to pretty high altitude, but also it's a very weak field uh, compared to maybe previous Giro years. And it's particularly compared to a normal Tour de France year. So yeah, that's why Thomas is a heavy favourite. People, I guess, the strategy for him in Ineos is gain time in the time trials, protect that lead, and yeah, limit the losses in the mountains where possible. And he's certainly got engines around him to do that. They're, they're definitely missing, though, Eddie Dunbar, the Irish rider. He was supposed to be on this team until he uh, had a crash and now he's injured. Dunbar was, he's, he would have made this team and Thomas, I think, really, really hard to beat probably filling in for, I'm not sure, maybe maybe Puccio or Swift. Um, but, yeah, he's the favourite. On to the second favourite in his team, Simon Yates, second favourite at Michelton Scott. Uh, and, again, got a pretty strong team, but not that strong uh, on the climbs relative to what you might expect from, like, an, an Ineos Tour de France team. But for Michelton Scott, this is a pretty strong squad. Jack Haig and Lucas Hamilton supporting Simon Yates in the mountains. They're, he's going to have more riders protecting and supporting him, Yates, than Grant Thomas will. I'm telling you that right now. We saw that in Torino Adriatico. Haig is a one-week GC leader quality rider. He's already shown that this year. Uh, I think at Andalusia or in Spain, Valenciana maybe. Lucas Hamilton won a stage in the in Torino Adriatico. They've got road captains and in Michael Hepburn, House and in Meyer. And they got a bit a TT guy and a bit of an engine in Eduardo Affini, who did a pretty good job in the World Championships time trial. He did a little bit better than I expected. And veteran Brent Bookwalter. So the question for Yates is how much time is he going to lose to Thomas in the individual time trials? I think he's definitely climbing, a better climber than Thomas. I think we he won a stage in the in Terreno Adriatico, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, yeah, that's right, when he danced away from Thomas and Micah, etc. He put 35 seconds into them on a ooh, about a 
12 kilometer climb, 7%. Um, and he, he won the overall at Terreno Adriatico, uh, beating Micah, Thomas, and Vlasov and Kelderman, all the riders who will be here at this Giro d'Italia. So I don't know. It depends how much time he's going to lose in the ITT. I kind of like Yates, to be honest, um, a little bit more than Thomas, just because I think this parkour is harder than people think sorry for being so harsh on it but i think he's going to be slaughtered in the time trials he has done a good time trial i think last year at Bainis. i'm not sure if it was last year or this year but i think it was last year he's he doesn't have a good history with the giro he had that one where he lost 26 minutes on a single stage the one where Froome danced away to a a wonderful solo of what is it 86 90 kilometers what a wonderful stage was that but he was pretty much done on that stage for that for that Giro d'Italia. I think last year he came to the Giro saying that he was the guy that everybody should look at, which I found a bit of a harsh statement. I was like, okay. He failed to deliver. And I think in the time trial as well, he lost about three minutes on Roglic, who was currently leader at that point in that Giro. I think the time trials are going to play him a lot of... Uh, dangers for him because i just don't see these three time trials all being good for him he can save himself in the prologue most likely because it's also a a bit downhill at the start we'll go into that later on yeah i don't think that he's going to be sustaining for three weeks with a third week that is this intense and additionally for the time trial yeah I have my doubts with Yano Simon Yates. I gotta be honest. He won a Vuelta, so he can sustain three weeks, but the Giro was something different for me, and I think he fits more with the steeper climbs as well than the very lengthy climbs, but then again in the Tirreno, he uh, he won a stage that is a very lengthy climb and not exactly the steepest, so might be rambling on by Yates here, but like you said, Jack Haig, gotta be the super domestique for that team, and I'm looking forward to see Haig I genuinely feel like if Yates has a bad moment, Haig might be there to save him. But yeah, if we see any cracks in Simon Yates, I I would dare to try and keep Jack Haig up there in GC as well. It might be harsh towards Simon Yates, but my trust in him after the last two Giros he, he wrote is a bit low for this one. He might surprise me and I'd be happy to uh, to accept that surprise because... I don't have anything against the lad, but I just don't have too much trust in him. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that'd be great for us to see Jack Haig, obviously a favourite of the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. And the next favourite, or one of the GC contenders, and well, actually, Benji, there's a debate to be had here about who is the GC contender, and you said that on Twitter today, at the Astana team. They got, they, they're bringing Jakob Fulsang, the Dane, Manuele Boaro, Rodrigo Contreras, Fabio Fellini, Jonas Gregard, Miguel Angel Lopez, winner of stage 17 in this year's Tour de France, I've called it a Lowe's, Oscar Rodriguez, and Alexander Vlasov. Obviously, Fulsang had looked, has looked very, very good in the one-day races this year, fifth in World Champs last week, uh, won Lombardia, sixth in Giro d'Emilia. Fifth in Strade Bianche. So he's looked really good there. He won Vuelta a Andalusia Ruta uh, Ciclista del Sol. I don't know why I didn't just say Andalusia like I normally do. He won that before lockdown, beating Haig and McNulty and I think Landa too. And he looked he looked crazy strong there. He got first, first, second, second, 
and sixth in the in five of the in the five stages. But I don't think he's going to be the GC leader for Astana. I think I think Vlasov is their strongest GC guy for this Giro. And when I've just been looking back at Fulsang's results, I know he's a different rider to what he was in maybe sixteen seventeen, and he's improved so much in nineteen twenty. But I think Vlasov is. Uh, it's hard to say. I think Vlasov, if his TT isn't complete trash, I think Vlasov will be their GC leader. Now, that's a big if, but I think what Astana are going to do is they're going to try to send Vlasov up the road in some of these stages. And I don't think the other teams will know. I don't think the other teams don't have the firepower to bring them back or, or really chase that. Like, there's no Yumbo Visma train in this year's Euro, which is going to make what will make it so exciting. And Fulsang will be sitting in. When that's happening, maybe they try the same thing with Miguel Angel Lopez, but he says he's coming here to support Fulsang on tired legs after the Tour de France. But you never know what he could do either, especially if it's maybe an easy first week and he doesn't lose enough to, a lot of time. But yeah, I think Vlasov is going to be their GC leader. Um, he won the dead the Montbon two challenge thing. I think he came second in Provence behind Quintana when Quintana was looking good. He yeah won. Giro d'Emilia, third in Lombardia, fourth in Gran Piemonte, third in uh, La Ruta Occitanie, I think behind Sivakov and Bernal. So, yeah, he's had a really good season so far. But And I think he's going to step up to being a proper GC contender in a, in a three-week Grand Tour in this Giro. Um, I think it kind of suits him despite the ITT. But, yeah, do you think you think Fulsang's leader, Benji, or, or how, how are Astana actually going to use this team? Because it's pretty strong. I'm not sure how long Lopez's reaches from the Tour de France to this. He was strong in the last week of the Tour de France. Can he have kept that up somewhat for this Giro? I genuinely am unsure about it. Flozov indeed, looking forward to seeing him ride in a Grand Tour. But, ah, full sign of Vlasov. I think it's Vlasov, like you say. I think they will try and keep both of them up there. I'm not sure how they will use Lopez, to be honest. It could be that he's in a domestique role, but I find that a bit unexpected. I am not sure if you can go from great form to terrible form in two weeks' time. So I think he will still somewhat have the kick that he had in uh, the last week of the Tour de France. I think we've got a mountain stage in, in the first week or so. So potentially he can strike on those and potentially do some damage there. It's a, it's a bit difficult with this team. I think they had... Two riders that were cancelled out by COVID. Uh, Natarov and some other teammate, they were replaced by Contreras and Gregard. So I'm not sure how good their form is going to be. They were not expected to ride this Grand Tour until like two, three days ago. So it's difficult to guess how good the team surrounding their leaders is. Oscar Rodriguez, I'm expecting a good domestique work for him. So strong team when it comes to the leaders. Rather mediocre team behind that, I would say. So I am guessing that we're going to see them be good for a bit and then we're going to see cracks in one of their leaders and that might decide who uh, who takes the leadership position in the end because by week three they should know who their leader is and I think week three is going to be the uh, the one that does the most damage next to the time trials as well. Yeah, full saying is actually pretty good in these sort of time trials, especially the ones that have got a hill or two in them. When I was looking back at his results, I think Andalusia... His time trial result was pretty good, actually. On a, it's sort of very similar to the stage fourteen ITT 
So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who eventually comes out on top there. Another man who missed out on the Tour de France because of a crash, Stefan Kreuzweig. He's the leader at Jumbo Visma. They're bringing to support him Cohen Bauman, Tobias Foss, Chris Harper, Tony Martin backing up from the Tour de France as well. Christoph Thingsten, German Antoine Tolok, and Jos van Amdem. So a very Dutch-heavy team for Dutch riders. And Kreuzweig maybe trying to shake off the demons from losing that Giro to Vincenzo Nibali, who's also on the start list. I think Kreuzweig is a very, very good shout to come in the top three. I think he's a man that doesn't win a lot of races. In fact, he barely ever wins. He's won like two pro races. But crashes aside, I just, whether this is right or wrong, I have a perception that he's just a very consistent climber, just a consistently very good level climber. And I think he's going to, he's an okay time trialist too. He's fine time trialist, not the best in the world, but I don't expect him to just shed minutes and minutes and minutes in the TTs. So I think with a weak field like this, he's over even money to come in top three. Um, yeah, I think he's a little bit better than that. And I expect him to come top three, although it's not, I mean, this, this, Jumbo Visma team, Benji, is like night and day to their Tour de France squad. Yeah, I think so as well. We've got Kreisweg, who has history, but as you might know, Stage 20, we'll talk about it later, has uh, the climb where he unfortunately crashed and lost his Tour de France, well, Giro d'Italia, in 2016. So that is going to be a a bit of a dangerous route to go on for him. So uh, let's hope he doesn't crash there once again in the Maglia Rossa. Tony Martin riding again, like you said. Antoine Tolhook, he is good, but he's good at certain occasions. I think he was great in the Tour de France of 2018, but in 2019, he only had a good period during the Tour de Suisse. So I think that, in general, the team behind Kreisweg is not as strong, like you say, as the Tour de France for sure. But I've got the feeling that that is the case with every team we've spoken about so far. I think... Mitchelton might generally have one of the stronger teams with just the fact that they have a super domestique in Jack Haig, while the other teams we've mentioned so far don't exactly have that position filled in. Yeah, and I guess Kreuzweig is probably just going to follow wheels. So, yeah, as long as he can follow Thomas and stick with him and he probably won't lose that much time in the ITTs, not as much as some of the other contenders, he probably would be well set for a podium position. He's obviously going for the win, though. Uh, the next GC contender, I'll probably have to let Benji talk about this guy the entire time for an hour. I'll have to cut him off at some point. Trek Segafredo, an Italian heavy team. Vincenzo Nibli, twice winner of the Giro d'Italia. He brings with him Julian Bernard, Gianluca Brambilla, Giulio Ciccone, Nicola Conci. Jacopo Mosca, Antonio Nibali, and Peter Vening. Pretty strong team. And the 39-year-old Peter Vening as well. I think he like retired for a bit or something uh, and then just came back for Trek for <laughs> for like Strade after lockdown. I didn't think he was even on the team at the start of 2020. Um, strong team. Giulio Ciccone, Mosca, and uh, Nicola Conci. Conchi, I think it's that's how it's pronounced, and Brambilla. They're like Mitchelton. They got a pretty that's a pretty strong squad, and a lot of riders who, if they weren't riding for Nibali, uh, for GC, they could rack up a, a lot of stage wins in this year's Euro. Maybe, maybe they will. Um, 
Nibali is only about 15 to 1 for overall on GC. A lot of people are saying he's past it. And yeah, he's not at the level of even maybe 16, 17. I'm not sure he's past it, but certainly I'm not as high on him in this year's Giro as um, maybe Benji is. But yeah, Benji, why are you why do you think Nibali is going to properly contend for the podium or the win in this year's Giro? Because from what I've seen in sort of stage races in the last year or so, he's not really close to the level of Thomas and co. And Thomas is going to put a lot of time into him on the ITTs. I'm completely biased here. So <laughs> that is reason number one that I think Nibali will do well this year. Reason number two is the fact that Vuelta España 2010, you've got Giro d'Italia 2013, 16, Tour de France 14. This man's a winner. And in each of those Grand Tours, you see that he becomes better and better during the race and peaks in week three. And that is very important on this one, next to the fact, as you said, that the time trials are important. Vincenzo Nibali is not terrible at time trialing. He had, I think, a top 10 position, fourth actually, at the time trial last year, just behind Roglic, Campanades, Molima, and then himself on the fourth spot on a minute of Roglic on a time trial of a solid 35 kilometers, ending on a bit of an uphill section, so that does count, but he is beating the likes of Tanel Kanga, Chad Hega, who I think won a time trial as well in one of the Grand Tours in the last year, so he's definitely not a bad time trialist. I think he's going to lose time to Thomas a significant amount, how much it's going to, well, it kind of depend on how his form seems to be in the first week. I think on the prologue, I'm not too worried. I think he's going to lose like 30 seconds, 25 seconds, which is still a lot because every second matters in a Grand Tour. But you still got to keep in mind that we are seeing Thomas miles above the rest when it comes to time trolling ability here. I think Nibali is between... Thomas and the other favorites when it comes to his time trialing ability. So he's definitely got the bonus there to try and make a podium out of this. And if he can sustain himself for the first two weeks, I don't exactly have too many doubts that he's going to be at a good level in the third week because third weeks of Nibali is just gold. So I think that the third week being such a monster is going to help him a lot in that way as well. He's not the rider that is inconsistent throughout a Grand Tour in the sense that he's going to collapse on a mountain stage and lose eight to nine minutes. He usually, if he does that in the first week, then we know he's not going to, well, be good in GC at all. He is consistent enough to, when he's close enough in the first week, to sustain that until week three. And I think if he can do that, he's going to be a really good candidate for top three anyway. We saw his form in Tireno be pretty horrendous. I think Antonio Nibali, his brother, was genuinely better than Tour, which is kind of panicky for a Nibali fan as myself. And usually he does not have good preparation races, but this year it was like 10 times worse than previous years. But looking at the World Championships, he was one of the riders that I did not necessarily expect to be as good as he was because... I expected him to be trash after that Tireno. And he was up there. He made attacks on the uh, second last climb of the World Championships. He even did a top 10, if I recall correctly. 15, okay, top 15. 
I think he's going to be better than we expect in the third week, and that's going to be really important for Nibali. So if he can sustain himself from losing a lot of time in week one and two, can keep the time trials on about two, two and a half minutes max lost to Thomas, which is going to be so much. But yeah, we got to be realistic. I think he's going to lose time. Maybe not two minutes and a half, maybe like a minute and a half, two minutes, most likely is what I'd expect. Because if we come to the last time trial and he's close to being near Thomas, I don't think he's going to lose like 30 seconds or 40 seconds on that last time trial alone. Mm, regarding his team, Peter Reining, curious what he's going to do. He uh, he was there at one of the races since comeback. Generally don't know which race, but I saw him somewhere. Jacopo Mosca, we've got Nicola Conchi. Those people were great at Milano San Remo trying to launch Nibali. Too bad Nibali was not in a great form in Milano San Remo. Ciccone and Brambia. We've seen Ciccone, Brambia, and Nibali kind of switch roles throughout the Italian classics. And sometimes Nibali was leader, sometimes Brambia was leader, sometimes Ciccone. All three of them failed in the end. So that's rather disappointing for Trek, at least, and for a Nibali fan, obviously. Julian Bernard, I think, is going to be a breakaway guy. And I'm not sure he's going to be too much involved with the train of Nibali, per se. I think that's going to be held with Brambia, Ciccone, Conchi, Mosca. Bernard is a very attacking rider, a good barrier, and I think he's going to try and get the KOM jersey early on in the, uh, in the stages. Because in week one, he can't sustain that. In week two and three, he's not... Good enough as a climber, I think, to keep it up with people that really hunt for that jersey. So, yeah, maybe early on he can take the KOM jersey. But as I said, Vincenzo Nibali, my personal favorite rider in the world. I believe a podium is realistic. If Thomas rides this consistently to Stour de France, then Nibali on paper does not have a chance of beating him unless he suddenly finds amazing form. But the thing is, Nibali has a lot of contenders for the podium as well. We spoke about Kreiswijk, we spoke about Yates, we spoke about quite a few riders already, and I've got a few dark horses that we'll speak about in a second that could potentially land the podium as well if the race really puts it through. But I think week three is going to be really important in this in this Grand Tour, and I'm going to keep repeating it quite a bit, but that is where Nibali should strike if he can get to a form that is capable of getting a good result in this Giro by that week. So consistently getting results in week one and two without losing much time is his goal, I think, and then striking on week three. But Trek Segafredo, yeah, the team is not amazing, but the issue is Giulio Ciccone just recovered from COVID, so I'm not sure I can expect too much from him as a domestique nor in the team yet. And I don't know how much COVID really got to him. I think physically it actually put him aside quite a lot. So curious where he can tap in again. Brambia's probably going to be really strong. So I think Brambia might genuinely win a stage somewhere. If if Nibali fails or something, then Brambia might get some freedom and take a stage. But I think he's going to be caught up in the uh, actions of Nibali as well. So that might restrict him from going for stages. So other GC contenders... Sunweb, Wilco, Kellerman, Dutch rider. He's they've brought a pretty decent squad with him, but there's also Michael Matthews on that team, so it's not just focusing on Wilco Kellerman. Brandon McNulty, maybe the American for UAE team Emirates. He looked kind of good next 
competing against Fulsang earlier in the year in the Spanish one-week races and against Haig. Ual Almeida for De Koenig Quickstep, I think, could be a genuine GC contender in this year's Giro. I just I rate him so much. I think he's so good. Um, Patrick Conrad, the Austrian for Bora Hansgrohe. This has been his priority and focus. He was supposed to be Bora's leader at Sibio Tour, but Gregor Mulberger, who's now going to Movistar, was better than him in the time trial. So, yeah, Conrad got a nice result, I think seventh in flesh uh, last night. So not sure. I think sort of fifth is his ceiling, but I could be wrong. Carl Friedrich Hagen, the Norwegian on Lotto Sudal. Uh, I think he might be leaving the team as well next year. He, I think he got eighth or something in Vuelta Espana a few years ago. He could be top five contender. I'm looking down the list now. But, yeah, Luca Wackerman for Vini Zabu KTM, one of the wildcard teams. He looked really good this year in a lot of the races he's done. Luca Wackerman, um, Italian rider. He, I think he DNF'd the last stage of Terreno, which was probably the best competition he was supposed to be in. And But the other races, he looked good, like Sibiu Tour. He's good in the mountains. Uh, Tour de Limousin, he won the GC, won the first stage. I don't know, I think top 10 is possible for Luca Wackerman. I'm kind of actually expecting that for him uh, to step up. Guy Sagiv, obviously, for Israel Startup Nation, big podium contender. Um, but, yeah, other than that, Rafael Micah, hard to say. He's there as like a sixth, seventh favourite, but I kind of feel like Micah is better off going for stage wins here, and I thought they were going to be riding for Conrad instead of him. Um, but, yeah, that's... Ilmo Zakarin, not happening. Um, I know he might do well in a stage here and there, but I, I just can't see him. With all these TTs and the descents, etc. Just it's not possible for him to contend on GC, really. But, yeah, that's the main GC contenders. The biggest name, really, at the Tour de France, uh, the, the biggest name at the Giro d'Italia is obviously Peter Sagan. He's been paid. Well, I presume he's been paid. He's been contracted to come to the Giro. Um, he's doing it backing up after the Tour de France where he looked kind of flat, didn't win a stage for the first time in years and obviously didn't win the green jersey. He's At Bora, they've got Cesare Benedetti, Bodnar, who's a good road general and lead-out man for Sagan, Matteo Fabro, who's a sort of a stage, a stage hunter. We saw that in Torreno. Patrick Gamper, Austrian. Patrick Conrad, as I mentioned. Micah and Pavel Polianski. Uh, so it's not, again, it's not a very strong team leading out for Sagan either. I think he's going to have to be pretty much looking after himself once again, apart from Bodnar, not even a Jay McCarthy to help him out on some of the the rolling stages. Do, what are you expecting uh, from Sagan, Benji? I think it is a profile that really suits him. There, you know, there's Michael Matthews, who's sort of like Sagan light for Sunweb. Do you? I kind of like Matthew's form ahead of Sagan, actually, for this year's Giro. I completely agree. But on the other end, I'm not sure how Sagan has grown from the Tour de France to this Giro, so it's hard to judge, really. I'm not sure if having a Grand Tour in the legs will be better for him or worse, because Sagan is a... He's a bit... Yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. That's what I mean, and... I think that Matthews indeed has shown in Torino that he is in really good climbing form as well. The World Championships, great form. And I think he's going to be more likely to be 
better, but I'm also not sure that the flat sprints are going to be good enough for Matthews to do great stuff on. So I think they're going to need the stages where there's like a hill 20 kilometers from the line, 10 kilometers from the line to try and get the real sprinters off the back. There's quite a few of those looking through the profiles quickly, but yeah, it all depends on Peter Sagan's form, genuinely. Uh, we don't know. And we felt through the Tour de France is real, then he could be good here because he started the Tour de France pretty weak and up that tiny bit by tiny bit towards the end of the Tour de France. But the thing is, does that mean it grew further to the Giro? Yeah, it's a bit of an unknown to me. I also just in general feel like it's a pretty rough sprinting field towards the fact that we've got a Gaviria at UAE who has an amazing lead-out train with Milano and Richese. Generally, I think they're going to, to be amazing in the lead-outs and bringing Gaviria to a, a good position. But then we saw in Tirreno that that was rather disappointing. So on paper, they've got an amazing lead-out, but in Tirreno... It wasn't. It wasn't up there. Yeah, I think Arno Demars is another one of the. He's probably my favourite sprinter actually. That's in at this race. I think Demars has shown this year he's gone to another level. Uh, people are saying FDJ should have taken him to the Tour de France. Are probably right. So yeah, the main sprinters are as I said: Sagan, Matthews, and then the pure sprinters. I guess Gaviria, Demar. It all blends together. I guess uh, Alvaro Hodge who's disappointed so far this season for the Koenig Quickstep. I'm sure I'm missing another. Well, actually, it's not. Jonathan Restrepo, he, for Androni, he's the sort of guy, he's won a lot of stages in Africa in Twitter Rwanda, I think, but not, yeah, not, um, he's just not done well at World Tour level. So I'd be very I surprised. I think stage. Am I wrong? Like two, three years I ago on the mountain. I I think mm. you're wrong. He came second, second in that ah, stage. Okay, I'm wrong. But he can climb okay. You know, he, he seemed to, he was climbing okay then. Then when we're getting into, as I said, the harder stages, riders like him and Diego Ulissi really come into play, the Italian for UAE Emirates. So UAE have got a really interesting team with Conti, Ulissi, Dombrowski, Gavidia, McNulty, and then the two lead-out men, Molano and uh, Ricciese. Just a really interesting team to me. Um, but yeah, I, I'm picking, I like DeMar to be the strongest of those sprinters. ISU have kind of brought multiple sprinters in Rudy Barbier, uh, Chimalai and Rick Zabel. So I don't I have no idea who they'll be riding for in the sprints. And if anything in the past is to go by, then maybe they'll all be going for their own results and Dowsett will be leading them out and they'll be sprinting against each other. And I forgot sort of Davide Ballarini, Speaking of harder stages, Hodge won't be any good in the harder stages uh, if there's any climbs at all. So it'll be Davide Ballerini, the Italian for quick step, taking over for them as their uh, sprinter in those stages. But yeah, I'm pretty excited to see which of these sprinters is going to come out on top or whether there's just an even smattering of wins across the board and they all pick up one here and there. Um, But yeah, let's maybe move on to the stages and start doing our stage-by-stage analysis and picks. Stage one, ITT off the bat from Monreale to Palermo, 15-kilometer. I think this is too long to be a prologue because it's got to be under 10K to be a prologue. They have a descent start, and it's kind of a technical start, I think. 
um, or maybe it's just straight straight off, straight down. I think there's uh, maybe one corner they'll have to break a left-hander uh, in the first three or four kilometres. But otherwise, a descent start, they've got to climb apparently. Mm, I thought it was – I've seen a few different profiles for this, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm reading the wrong one, but I think I've got the right one. Apparently, there's a 1,200-metre climb up to 4.8% average gradient at the start of this ITT, and then they just smash it down. Um, let me check that, Benji. Yeah, that's right. I'm, check- I'm cross-checking the official Giro one and then the other ones that La Flamme Rouge make. Um, the favourite for this stage only can be one man. Filippo Ganna is the clear favourite for the stage. Don't know what odds I'd pick him at, but based on Terreno stage one where he broke the course record, over 10, 10 and a half minutes, yeah, he's gonna he's a clear favourite for this, and I can't go past him. Um, is Rowan Dennis? Or who, yeah, who can contend with Ghana here, Benji? I think we've got indeed Rowan Dennis on that list, but I don't think this short ITT is as promising for him. I think genuinely, Green Thomas is going to be one of the uh, competitors, but I still think Ghana's going to win, but this is where Thomas can take an initial beating to any of his other competitors. I think he's going to take time on his competitors. He's won prologues before, if I recall correctly, or at least done really well in them. So I think this one's going to fit for him. Victor Campanars is here as well. Rather disappointing season so far. He won the time trial in Tireno last year. So it seems like he's had a bit of a drop in, well, form since then at that point. So I don't expect too much from Campanards at the start of this Giro d'Italia in that prologue, but is the prologue, is it under eight kilometers? No, right? No, it's 15. No, it's okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't expect uh, Campanards too much, gotta be honest. And outside of those, I don't exactly have too much on my list. Josef Czerny can can do some time trialing, Kamil Gradek, but that is all on a secondary level. I've got the feeling that I want to see how good Almeida does in the time trials. He was always a time trialist before he became a climber, I think. And now he's at the Koenig together with Masnada and Knox in that team. I'm not sure who they're going to go for in GC. Honestly, really curious. I would go for Almeida, but after seeing Tireno and Masnada there and Knox not being too bad there either, I'm generally not sure who they will go for. Do you have any clue? Uh, I think... They're supposed to be going for Knox, but I think that's a mistake. I think they should go for Masnada and Almeida. I don't think Knox is good enough. Um, but, yeah, we'll see how much time people lose in that in that uh, first stage ITT. If someone crashes, etc., you can lose a lot of time. It is They'll be going pretty quick through some of those first corners in the descent, and they'll be pushing the limits. So we'll see whether people want to take risks, whether Thomas kind of takes it easy. Uh, it'll be an interesting start to the Giro d'Italia, actually. But, yeah, I can't go past Filippo Ganna for that stage. Um, if Remco Evenepoel was here, I'd probably pick Remco, to be honest. Uh, Remco's beaten Ganna in short short time trials with a roller in it before. But Remco's not here. I think he would have been favourite for the Giro. Um, so i just got to give a shout-out to him, obviously, on the pod. Stage 2 from Alcarmo to Agrigento, 149 kilometres. Rolling climbs all day, 3Ks at 5%, 3Ks at 4.5%, 4Ks at 4%. goes on and on, then a flatter section and still some rolly climbs, and then a 3.7-kilometer 
5.2% hilltop finish. I guess you could call it. This reminds me of the stage Sagan won in uh, Terreno a few years ago ahead of Thomas and Co. My picks for the stage are Michael Matthews ahead of Diego Ulissi. Obviously, it's under 200k, so Ulissi could, could win this, but I think it's Matthews. If it was picks again, I'd be picking him, but I just don't see him having that kick on a climb like this. Maybe I'd, I'd take him to beat Matthews in a flat sprint easily at the moment, but not up a climb like this, and I think it might be a little bit too hard for Demar. Yeah, I think it's definitely too hard for Demar. I would be looking at the same people you do, but I would add some, maybe some outsiders to that. I think we might see a Vendrame for Ajajela Mondial do well on this kind of terrain. He's good at bunchy finishes, not necessarily climbing finishes. So just in between, and I think this fits him so perfectly. I don't think Sagan is going to be up there today. On Well, today, I mean on this profile. I think that this is purely Matthew's territory to get away well, the ones you said already, mm, outside of him, it's really hard to see any riders that I would expect to be great here. Almeida had that stage in Burgos? No, was it Algarve, I think, that he won or at least was good at. I think he was good at the stage, not won, but he was good at that stage and that had a somewhat hilly finish. So I'm curious whether he can strike on this. I I'm not sure. I don't think he's going to be on level as the riders we already mentioned. But outside of those riders, it's it's a bit of a a mystery to me. I've got those three riders written down for this one and don't necessarily see anyone else really as potential favorites on this finish. So yes, on paper, Matthews, we've got Ulysses and we've also got the likes of Vendrame or potentially someone of a yeah, it's so hard to to guess really on this kind of finish. But Bao could could do pretty well on this kind of terrain as well. I was surprised to see him on the start list, by the way. Bill uh, Bao Bill Bao. Bataglin won a stage like this a few years back. I think two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, Bataglin is a guy. I think you got to throw his name in there for Bahrain McLaren. Um, Bao Bill Bao. Obviously, we should we'll talk about him in later stages. But yeah, I think Bataglin for Bahrain McLaren. He's a sprinter who can kind of climb, and if he's on any form, he hasn't really shown. He's been okay, some top 10s in the Italian tune-ups at Apennino and Coppa Sabatini, but I'm not expecting him to win. But if he did, it wouldn't be like the most crazy thing I've ever seen. You know who I think would come third in top three on this stage is Hailu uh, Biniam Germay for Nippodelco Provence. I reckon he'd come top three, but... Um, We've already sp- spoken about, at length about him and that, the fact that he should be on a World Tour team. Um, this sort of finish without many other contenders really for it, like Matthews is, and Ulysse are the clear best, you know, riders like him can really, they can grab a stage or get a top three in a stage like this. But anyway, on to the first proper mountaintop finish the next day, up from Enna to Mount Etna. You've seen this before, from Lingua Glossa to Piano. Provenzana, it's a, it's not that hard before Etna. Thomas and Co. They shouldn't have any difficulties um, controlling things. There's going to be no GC action before the climb, or well, there shouldn't be anyway. Um, and then the Etna climb is eighteen point six k's at six point seven percent. The last 
the two kilometers are about nine to nine and a half percent so it's steep at the end this is the sort of climb that chris Froome would have just attacked in the last two k's for sure um but chris Froome out here and i'm gonna check who i had down for this stage alexander vlasov is who i picked for this stage i think he's going to attack when he gets hard in the last two k's three k's i think this suits him better than the terreno climbs it's longer I think full saying, I think that's going to be a good strategy for Astana to let him attack and gain time and see what Thomas and co. do. Who will Thomas have with him? I mean, if it's hard up to this point and Haig and Hamilton have been setting pace for Yates, Thomas will be isolated. I don't really see any of the other riders being with him. Maybe Castro Viejo if, it's, if he's on a really good day, but whether he might be there, but could he bring it bring attacks back? I'm not sure. So I think Vlasov is going to go up the road and I think Thomas is going to kind of be happy to let him do that because he'll back himself to bring back to time in the ITT and it's either him or probably Yates and I like Vlasov for it. Um, do you, who have you got, Benji? You're, you're the breakaway man. You always you like to pick a breakaway. Do you think yeah? Do you think a break can go? And if a break does go in this year, who's going to bring it back? Because... If Thomas isn't riding and he's happy for, and Ineos are happy for brakes to go up the road, then no one's going to really bring brakes back. But yeah, do you think GC action here or breakaway? I think GC action here. And the reason for that is that mm, I think Ineos might actually control the race here. I think in 2017, they did the stage as well, and Thomas ended third on the stage, was behind Zakarin and Polange. Polange attacking from the breakaway, but just about survived at 30 seconds. So it's usually close with the breakaway and the peloton on this kind of stage. I think in 2018, we then had a stage exactly the same, pretty much on the profile. Chavez winning it. And I think he attacked early on from the peloton and then Simon Yates bridged up to him somewhat on the Etna and came second on like the same time. So that was a very good stage, if I recall correctly. Thibaut Pinot coming third there and so forth. I think Simon Yates wins the stage. And the reason for that is the fact that, like you say, this is perfect for Thomas to be pacing on and so forth and in the last two kilometers strike, because that's Thomas's memo, emo, not memo. <laughs> then I think Simon Yates might be the only rider that dares to attack somewhat earlier. And it hardly depends then on the team surrounding Thomas. And I'm not sure he's here with a team that can linger back and take back Simon Yates. So we'll have to respond themselves. And I think Simon Yates will be the better climber in week one, maybe, and then fall through on the time trial. So yeah, I think Simon Yates wins stage six. And this will be a first like noticeable factor, whether we have riders that we did not expect to be up there, be up there as well here, because we've said quite a few riders for GC. Those are the main favorites. There could be others, genuinely. I, unlike you, think that Micah should go for GC fully and believe that he can top five if he was as good as the Tireno he rode. And usually Micah's also the rider that gets better and better through the ground tour and becomes better in the third week. And knowing the climbs in that third week, that's going to be benefiting him a lot. Yeah, time trials are going to be his tough part also because, yeah, he's not amazing at them. But I've got the feeling that we were saying that about so many favorites that not having a good time trial might still lead to a podium because of that. 
because there's so many riders that are fighting for the podiums that don't necessarily have the best time trial. But I'm going off topic of the stage. Again, Simon Yates is my call. I got some bad news for you, Benji. I think Vincenzo Nibli loses 90 seconds plus on this stage. Oof. Already on stage three. Ouch. And he's going to... And he's going to end up hunting stages by the end of <laughs> the Giro d'Italia. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> but that's what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to be like a repeat of Torreno. And it's going to be interesting to see whether at Torreno he just gave up, right? Because he knew he wasn't going to – it was a tune-up race and he knew he wasn't really contesting GC. So he just – like the time he lost isn't re- reflective of how much he got dropped. But it'll be interesting to see if he really fights hard to – keep any time losses or limit them if he's not feeling good say on a stage three like this or whether he just lets it go out uh, i don't think he will i think he'll fight hard because giro versus terreno a whole different kettle of fish um stage four from catania to villa franca terrena it's a pretty flat stage uh, there's an intermediate sprint before the first category what's well, categorized category three climb that would definitely be a cat two if it was the tour de france um but hey, different race and there's just one climb on the day. So it's kind of just flat, big climb, flat, and it's 12.4 Ks at 5.2%. I think this is going to be a bunch sprint. I, Yeah, I just don't think the climb is that hard. I don't think anyone's going to see any value in the GC teams in doing anything. So unless there's a really strong breakaway that goes up the road, which I don't really see either, I think this is going to be another bunch sprint. And uh, I've got Arno de Mar to win this stage. It's a little bit harder than the long climb they have in Milano San Remo, but I think they'll do it at a pretty cruisy pace. They'll have had a hard day the previous day up Etna. I think, uh, yeah, Damar will be fine for this, and uh, I like him as the quickest man in this race. And I think they've got with them FTJ. They do have Jacopo Guarnieri, who's the best lead-out man in the world right now. FYI, they've got Scotson, Sinkeldam, etc. They're, they're set up for stage wins for for Demar. So he's my pick for this stage. Um, is Am I missing anything in this climb, Benji? Or is it seems pretty consistent, easy-ish gradient to me? Yeah, I think so. And I think the pace in the peloton will be pretty easy as well. It's far from the finish line. Sprinters might get in trouble, but they've got plenty of time to recover that. And I think their teams will take care of that. I don't think that a team is going to decide to blow it up on this climb, but then again, Bora did it on one of the least expecting stages in the Twitter France as well. So you never know at this point, but I, I do think that it's going to be for the main sprinters this stage. I'm mainly curious to see how the KOM points in these first few stages are. On stage two, we had a fourth cat climb. Then we've got the finish on Etna. And then that was a first cat finish. And now it's a second cat climb. So... The guy who wins on Etna might generally be in KOM on stage four, which is curious to think about considering it might just be a GC guy. Thanks, Benji, as usual. Much more professional than me. Always remembers the KOM jersey, uh, etc. I always tend to focus too much on the uh, points jersey in the GC. Stage five from Mileto to Camagliato, Camagliatello Silano. That wasn't too bad. 200 and 26-kilometer stage, a beast of a stage before the first, not the day before the first rest day, in the first week. I'm not sure when a break away will form properly. I think this is a stage for the break, uh, the way I'm looking at it. 
and it's probably going to be on the 10.1 kilometer climb at five and a half percent it's about 100 k's in or they could go really early there's some earlier like two and a half k 5.7 percent climbs it's interesting to me to see here what Ineos can do because they don't have the strongest climbing squad but as I've read out these gradients due in this first week nothing in the middle of these stages is particularly savage and Someone like Rowan Dennis on this Tirolo climb in the middle, the main one in the middle, 10Ks at 5.5%. I don't. He's going to have no issues, Dennis, pacing for Thomas there and controlling things. Even Filippo Ganna on some of these climbs. I think he's going to surprise people. And Benji and I have already mentioned it. We don't sleep on his climbing. He can climb for a big guy. Um, so the lack of climbing I don't think will be exposed for Ineos here. But the main climb is at the end of the stage. This is like the Montaguel stage, I think, in the Tour de France. They've got a 22.7-kilometre climb to Montescuro, 6%, then a descent finish into uh, Camigliato Solano. Camigliatello Solano, Jesus Christ. We're struggling here. And I'm pick, my man for the stage is uh, Fausto Masnada. I think from a break, I think riders like Valerio Conti, and one of Micah or Conrad, I'm not sure which, maybe they'll both still be going for GC at that point, but I think my pick is Masnada. I think Conti will be there as well. Um, maybe Brandon McNulty, but I don't think he's quite at that level of those guys. Um, and I, I hope, and again, maybe I'm completely wrong and Masnada will be going 100% for GC, but I wish they'll send one of him or Almeida up the road in a breakaway on this stage. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Almeida and Masnada and Knox will still be fighting over who gets the role in GC and might still all be up there in GC. Might be a mistake by the Koenig doing that. Uh, indeed, like you say, Masnada is great for these kind of stages. So if he goes for GC like he did in Tirreno, then I don't see him losing enough time already to go in the breakaway. Same with Almeida, same with Knox. And I'm sure as hell expecting Knox and Almeida not to just give up on GC on the Etna itself and be so terrible that they lose so much time. Masnada is, like you said, a bit of a question mark whether he goes for GC, but I've got the feeling he might try, like the other two, but I don't know. Not sure if it's a good plan. But towards the stage itself, yes, like I said, Mondigual also feels like that stage. Kemnamon, Villardelon. You've got the climb, bit of a flat section towards the finish line. So, yeah, I think that it's definitely a breakaway thing. Who wins that? Valerio Conti? He's up there for me as well. Uh, Yolisi might try to go in the breakaway. The thing is, the Etna has limited seconds of difference, usually. I think two editions ago, where in 2017 Thomas was third, there was a group of like 35 people near the top at Etna on like half a, half a minute of Polanc who won the stage. I think in 2018 the gaps were bigger. I think only a, a 10-man group finished ahead then, but we got to watch out that we don't expect climbers that might not be going for GC to be too close for GC here. But yeah, I think, like you say, the likes of a, a UAE will probably send someone in the breakaway. A Sunweb, maybe. Kellerman's their leader, but Chris Hamilton, Jay Hindley. Hindley can climb. Hindley's a good climber. Yes, indeed. And they've got some omens to take care of Kellerman. So on paper, they can send them up there. I think NTT will try and do random stuff. Louis Manchin breakaways and so on. 
Bilbao, I think. Bilbao in the, uh, could try and get in this break. I mean, if he showed the form he did when he was with Karapaz and Kwiatkowski, he could be trying to get in this break. Simon Clark always has to be mentioned, as well as Tanel Kangat, sorry, the, their good breakaway specialists, especially in Grand Tours. Uh, I think, and Jonathan Caicedo as well. So EF have got a breakaway team. Um, there are other names that could be in this break. Sorry, Benji, I, I, didn't, I don't think I let you reach your final pick. I know people got their spreadsheets ready writing down our picks. <laughs> I think I'm going to go for, I think an Ajazer rider might actually take it here. Got to keep in mind that during this Giro d'Italia, there's this interesting concept for breakaway riders because there's two extra classifications compared to a Tour de France. You've got, first of all, a breakaway uh, classification, and it's based on the amount of kilometers you are in the breakaway. But a breakaway only counts if it's less than 10 riders. So when you're at 10 riders, that means that it doesn't count as a breakaway. So if the break is with 11 riders... Yeah, that's kind of too bad if you're up there, you know. <laughs> but if you go for that classification, you got to try and find a way to get in uh, breakaways under 10. And also, additionally, there's also a classification we haven't spoken about, fair play classification, which keeps in mind the penalties that teams get. And then there's a team in the end that comes out on top. So I wanted to throw that in there, find it interesting. But Arjel La Mondial, we've got the likes of Haninen, who has shown that he's a talent in the climbing. But regarding this stage... I think Bouchard's going to go for KOM in this whole thing, or Bidar. Either of the, those two riders will win the KOM in this Giro d'Italia. That is my my pick for that. By the way, too early, I know, sorry. But I think for the stage, it's either Pahepentre or Vendrame. And Vendrame, because he, I think, was very close on that stage. Chavez won in the Giro last year. He had a mechanical at the bottom of the last climb or hill. And he was still able to pass everybody on his way to the top and get second on that stage. So really good performance by Vendrame there. And therefore, I think he has the climbing ability of doing hell well here. And if they get to the line with more than one rider, he can finish it off as well. Pantre, it's a bit of a, a new thing for him, Grantos. He's a very talented rider. I'm not sure where he lies between real mountains and hills. So I'm curious if he can really pull it off on these likes of climbs, but I think either of those two riders wins the stage, Pantre or Vendrame. But we've got another stage coming after that, and gotta be honest, this this Giro parkour, I love it. Gotta say it again. We've got the stage from Castroviari to Matera, which does not necessarily look like a stage you would expect in the first six stages of a Grand Tour. It reminds me a bit of Privas, the stage from the uh, Tour de France, but with some more climbing at the start. Is that similar for you? I guess I kind of focus too much on the end of these stages, but yeah, it's you got to look at, okay, what's going to happen when you've got to climb pretty much straight out the gate? How could that blow up the race if someone tried to do something really early? Um, like, will Sunweb, do Sunweb try and put Sagan under a lot of pressure if he's not been climbing well at all and increase the pace straight away and drop Demar and, and Sagan and that means the breakaway can't go or if no one none of the teams are trying to do anything and the GC teams are probably not fussed about letting a break go up the road they'll ha- they'll be happy for it to go then yeah then a, a big breakaway group can go straight away so it's really it's easier to know the day before like we We'll have five stages beforehand, so you've got to listen, obviously, to our day-by-day recap podcast 
which then preview the next stage a little bit. You got more information then on how the race is panning out. But yeah, I I'm not sure about this stage. I think I think I said that a breakaway would go in my when I was previewing it beforehand and prepping for it. I thought a break would go, but I think there's a long flat section in the middle, and I think it will get brought back. There's a 4.7k climb, oh, about 160k's in at 7% average gradient, then a valley after that descent, and then like an uphill drag, like 2.4k's at 4.5%, but then there's like pinches in the last k's before the end. I don't know. I picked Almeida for this this stage because I thought the final climb might be a bit hard for – I didn't want to pick Matthews for every stage basically as well because I'd get accused of being biased. But, um, yeah, I went with Almeida. Might not be hard enough for him in hindsight, so I'm kind of changing my pick. Uh, and I'm going to go with Diego Ulisi. I'm changing – I'm changed. So change your spreadsheets. Change, get your little pens out. Ulisi for this stage. Um, does that answer your question, Benji? Yes, indeed. And uh, my pick is Michael Matthews. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Michael Matthews uh, is written all over this for me. The only question I have indeed is whether the breakaway gets caught in time, but they've got a team that is not terrible, so they could control the race and could potentially try and get that breakaway back in ASAP. So Michael Matthews is my pick for this one. That climb you spoke about, that is about 20 kilometers from the finish line, 25 kilometers from the finish line. It's probably going to influence the, uh, the breakaway a lot, so potentially one or two riders might go clear from the seven or six or whatever that is in the breakaway that day and might make it easier for the peloton that is storming behind them to catch up at that point. But yeah, I think Matthews is written all over this, so that is my pick for the stage. For stage seven, we start in Matera and finish in Brindisi, which is a flat stage. And the thing I always look at is in the... In these kind of stages, whether the last line is straight and whether the finish is flat. And I've got the feeling on this one that is indeed the case. So pure sprint stage for me. The sprinters should all be in a good position for this one, at least when it comes to energy from having no climbs in the stage, really, except for like a tiny one before the intermediate sprints. Those intermediate sprints, by the way, give like 10 points, I think, for the... um for the points classification but curious fact lantern and i don't think you know this detail but on every second intermediate in stage the first person gains three seconds in gc wait what repeat that i was listening but i did not understand i need i need just just like the golden kilometer these all these gimmicks and changes between races are so confusing but also Kind of good. Explain that again. The second intermediate, you get bonus seconds on every stage or every second stage? Every stage that has two intermediate sprints. I don't know if every single stage has two intermediate sprints. So they've got that in, in the stage two in Agrigento. They've got two intermediate sprints. Does that mean that Ineos are going to bother doing a full lead-out train for Grant Thomas? They could Imagine the lead-out they could do with Ghana and Dennis and co. I mean, they probably won't, but I guess if you're a sprinter and you're kind of behind, like if you're a sprinter, right, and you are a few seconds behind on GC on that before that stage two, I know we're going back in time after the prologue, 
you could like if say Mads Pedersen was at this race, you do a lead out for him and try and gain some time there. Um, maybe Michael Matthews goes for it there and he tries to get into the Maglia Rosa, which I think he's worn before. But anyway, okay, so stage seven, there's that intermediate sprint, 93 k's in. It's a 145k stage. It's going to be a bunch sprint, and I think I picked for this Fernando Gavidia. Although I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Arno Demar won either. I think I've got Demar written down as well. I think he's got an amazing lead out, and that will benefit him. So I'm curious how easily we're going to notice that. I think this stage is the first time we're going to see that lead out in full action. So. Auto Demar is my pick for this one. That is uh, what I've got written down. The stage after that is a bit of a different one. It is not a flat stage, and it's rather weird, I would say, because we've got a climb in the middle of the stage. It's a bit becoming the MO of the Giro, with that being the case in, I think, stage 5 as well. We spoke about it earlier, and that is 9.4 kilometers at 6%, so not a terrible climb, so it's not going to murder everybody, but... It's going to be pretty tough for these sprinters. And after that, it is quite a steep descent. Also being a 200km stage, by the way, very long as well. But after that, the hills start. And it's all these tiny hills. I don't even know what to call it because it's well, it's proper hills, to be honest. It's, uh, it's like those uh, smaller Ardennes Classics hills, I would say. You start with the likes of 2.8km at 5%, 1.6km at 5%. We've got 2.9 kilometers at 6%. Keeps going like that. Then a fourth cat like in the middle of all those hills. So it's not even on the highest of the peak. So curious what the reasoning is there considering it's not even steeper than a few of the ones before that. But the finish line is... Well, I think they do a bit of a, a circuit there if I look at it. Because... Yeah, they, they do. They do a couple of laps, line. I'm pretty sure. Around yeah, they, uh, Vieste. Yeah, that's that's correct in Vieste. And the finish line is passed twice. And the first time they pass that, that's one of those intermediate sprints. So curious who's still going to be there to take up those seconds and points. And after that, the Via Saragat climb, which is 1 kilometer, 9.1 percentage. Comes in every time they do the circuit, so twice. And that is about a good... Oh my goodness, is that 13 kilometers from the line? It's, yeah, it's 10 kilometers from the line, something like that. So, I don't know, I think, I don't want to say it again, but this has Matthews written all over again. <laughs> well, that's why I was saying before the pod, I think, maybe I did say it in the podcast, that I was going to pick Michael Matthews about six times, but he could win this stage as well. And I felt like, I feel like Sagan... I don't know, that, that first, that Category 2 climb, 10 kilometers at 6.2%. Oh, I, I, I don't know if he can get over it. It's just, if it was like 4.5%, 5%, but 6.5% and it starts off quite hard with the first couple of kilometers being over 7%. I don't know, but then is anyone going to be really driving it? Yeah, I have to go with, I think, uh, Michael Matthews, once again and hopefully i'm right and we're yeah he was your pick as well benji is that locked in yeah that's locked in that's locked in but the thing about the stage is it looks like we ride through the ocean in the middle there for a second because yeah it's by the coast the whole time and it looks like we're going on coastlines but also a bit on the outside of the bay so 
maybe there's a bridge or something there, but on the on the map it looks like we're driving straight through the ocean. So yeah, and maybe there's some there's some wind, maybe some crosswind in that first ninety kilometers. We can but only dream of such things happening. Stage nine. Uh, this is from San Salvo to Rocarazzo. Rocarazzo? Uh, another 200 kilometer plus stage. Pretty crazy, actually, how many 200 plus kilometer stages there are in this Giro. And especially, you got to remember with all these stages, we've probably, I'd say, been a little bit GC focused or bunch sprint focused in terms of maybe not giving a breakaway as much credit. But given the lack of firepower in these teams and overall strength i think this looks to me like breakaway stage written all over it um there's it's a initial climb about 2k's at five percent straight out the gate flat section where they can build up a pretty big lead after attacking on that climb and then there's extended climb of maybe five five to seven kilometers and then Category 1 climb, the Paso Lanciano, 12.4 k's at 7% descent into the feed zone, and then like a staircase climb that seems to go on for about 80 kilometers, peppered with a couple of short descents. Uh, so the Paso San Leonardo, 15 k's at 4.5%, then they descend into the Bosco di San, Santonio, Santon, Sant'Antonio, 10Ks at 5.1%. You wouldn't think that I lived in Milan for a year. Pretty rusty. And then the finale, pretty hard actually, the Rocco Rasso climb. 9.6Ks at 4.5%. But it's one of those climbs that's lying to you on Strava with the average gradient because in the middle of it is about 3 kilometers of false flat descent and then the final kilometer, I think, or 700 meters is over 11%. So if... If the GC guys are here, Grant Thomas wins this stage. In my opinion, he's good in these sort of kicks at the end. He's like Roglic, except better at TTs and not as good maybe in the in the mountains generally. But he's good in these sprints to the line. But I don't. It's I think this is going to be a breakaway. Um, now that I think about it and think about it more, and Ilnor Zakarin, if he's lost enough time. Simon Clark, maybe. I like Simon Clark for this stage as well. Um, I don't know. Valerio Conti, once again, could certainly win this stage. It wouldn't surprise me. Or Juan Almeida. It really depends whether they go for um, GC or deliberately lose time as well. But I'm going to firm up on uh, Simon Clark for this stage. Maybe it's going to be too hard. And there'll be Miguel Angel Lopez in the break with him, who's deliberately lost 30 minutes. But yeah. I'm picking Simon Clark. I think that's a good pick, genuinely. The thing is about EF, we've got a team that does not necessarily have a, a GC leader here. So Sean Bennett, Caicedo, Clark, Craddock, Guerrero, Tanel Kanget. I think those are going to focus really on breakaways. James Whelan as well, maybe. Um, but I think I'm going to pick a different EF rider for this one. <laughs> I'm going to go for Ruben Guerrero because he was promising in the Vuelta last year. Really good in breakaways. I think this is a stage where he can show himself. It's not the rider that has like no engine at all. The guy has somewhat of an engine, and I think that's going to work out on this kind of stage. I think second on the last stage of Tireno Adriatico as well, just behind Vanderpool. So who's what he's going to give on this one. But also, in general, this is a stage where Nibali will lose time. On paper, hands down. 
if I see this profile, I'm like, oh God, this is bad. And I think he's going to lose like 30, 20 seconds on this. He's pretty uh, meh on these kind of finishes. I think Cicero Realo or something. I, I'm going to look it up. I think a stage last year where Cirisole Reale, is that it? I think that's it. Nibali lost some time there. And on paper, I think that this is kind of like that. So that is uh, why I think that Nibali loses time on the stage, unfortunately. But it looks like the kind of stage where he usually does that. Green Thomas indeed looking like a, a really good pick if this comes down for GC. But I don't really see that happening, to be honest. So it's honestly a great parkour, genuinely. And it feels like... They do a major climb, a smaller climb, and then a, another smaller climb to the line. But that last kick is is hella steep. So, yeah, I'm I'm really starting to doubt whether it's GC or Breakaway now. But on paper, I don't know who would be looking to control this race. And Ineos is never really the controlling type regarding Breakaway. So, yeah, I think that is gonna be uh gonna be settled in the Breakaway, and Ruben Guerrero is gonna win the stage. It's going to be a good one for sure. I can't wait to watch that one. Stage 10 from Lanciano to Tortoretto. It's 177 kilometers punctuated by regular short climbs. None really, none over two kilometers long. Oh, one is over about two kilometers long, but they're quite steep. 9%, 8%. We're talking five to seven climbs. And the Tortoretto climb, which they do a few repetitions of, I think there's a circuit. Oh, uh, Maybe there's not a circuit, but they certainly do that climb twice. 2.3Ks at 8.3%. It's Category 4. There's another climb, 8.6%. An extended one. That goes into a 1K at 9%. But it's a flat finish. And I don't know. Maybe I'm delusional. Maybe I'm picking his, thinking his form was too good at Wallonie. And you're going to say this is way too hard for him, but I'm picking Arno Demar for this stage, Benji. Um, I think he can get over these climbs. I think he showed something different in uh, Wallonie, where he was getting over similar climbs, maybe a little bit shorter, and looking good at the front too. And he was sort of dropping Van Avermaet almost on them. And yeah, I think if it comes down to a flat sprint like this, he'll beat everybody. I think you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for saying that. I, I don't really drink, think that he does survive this. Just the whole sense of all the races we're having right now, a bit, a bit trippy with all these races. But towards the stage, yeah, I think that it's genuinely too hard for for Arnaud Demar. He's 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 good at like hills, but this is next no, level. No, I'm not drunk. I'm not fucking drunk. Stage four, Wallonie. Look at it. It's not. It's pretty hard, man. One point six k is eight point seven percent. Yeah, but the competition's so different, though. Don't you expect anybody to try and drop him on this one? If, not if really. He, if he wins this, then oh, okay. I, I need to find a, a challenge now. But if he wins this, you owe me a six pack of Blue Label, uh, Shermay. I think I uh, I want to do that. Good. That's the deal. I think he doesn't survive it. And if I am correct, you owe me just respect forever. I'm correct if he's in the bunch at the finish. He doesn't have yeah, to win okay. if he's in the deal. bunch at the finish. In, in yeah. principle, I'm correct. Okay, yeah. deal. Okay. Who's your pick for this stage then? 
Um, Michael Matthews. <laughs> Sorry. Are you, are you trying to get Australian citizenship or something? <laughs> well, no, but I've got the feeling that he can. he's generally favoured for all these stages. He can win like five to six of them. <laughs> that's that's quite quite insane. So uh, Michael Matthews is going to win his third stage of this Julie Talia on stage 10. That's, uh, that's my pick. And the stage after that, that's one where the mark can come in. I agree. That is where the mark comes in from Porto Santel Pidio to Rimini. And it's got a few holes in there as well. They're not as captivating as the stage before. So just enough for Demar to get over this one as well. So yeah, on this one, Demar survives. And yeah, Gaviria versus Demar. I think that is going to be a fierce battle. Sagan might be up there in the sprints, but I don't think he's going to be conquering a stage against these two lads. But yeah, I am going to say Gav Demar. I've gone with Demar as well. Two stages in a row, taking his third stage win uh, in stage 11. Stage 12 from Cisinatico to Chesanatico. They do a big loop from the uh, from the ocean out to the hills, back to the ocean. A very, a very hilly stage. I count ooh, seven categorized climbs. Well they all should they should all be categorized. They're not because I guess the Giro does what it wants and it's calling them like category four climbs when they're harder <laughs> than category three climbs on other stages. So yeah. They're not steep though. And Oh, one of them steep, the Barlotto climb, the second one, it's about 8%, 4.5k is 8%. The other's like 5%, 5.5%, 6%, 5.6%, not that long. I think Ineos, yeah, they don't have Dunbar, etc., but I think they're going to be fine on this stage, and that's why Thomas is the favourite, because even a stage like this, which kind of looks scary, or like, oh, look at all these climbs, how are they going to control things? Is Thomas going to get exposed? It's like, well... Is another GC contender really going to drop him on a stage like this? And is Rowan Dennis and Narvaez and Puccio and Swift not going to be able to really help bring that back? The other, yeah, that's why I think Thomas should really be a clear cut favourite because I think Ineos will be fine on a stage like this. I think it's going to be a breakaway again, and I think it's going to be a young rider, a young Finn, who's going to come to prominence. He's really talented, uh, Jako Heinen. If you look at or Hanen, if you look at his uh, third in the 2018 on the 23 World Championships road race. It's a very similar parkour in that World Champs. And if you want to know who the, the rider that won that race was, he's the man that just won flesh, Mark Hirschi. Second was Bjorg Lambrecht, rest in peace. One of the most, one of the, an incredibly talented rider in his own right too. He beat uh, Hananen for the reduced bunch or the sprint for second place, 15 seconds behind Hirschi. And, Hananen looked really good in the tune-up races so far this year. I think, oh, I'm not sure if he did Tour de Lana or whatever, but he was in a breakaway, and I think he wins this stage. I think he goes clear on on one of these climbs and uh, sort of TTs to the finish. Um, but, yeah, who have you got, Benji, or breakaway or GC, guys? Maybe it's not a breakaway. Oh, it's really difficult. The stage is beautiful, by the way. Genuinely, this profile, just want to sh- want to put it above my bed and look at it every day. Um, yeah, I think that it's most likely breakaway because, yeah, again, Ineos most likely won't uh, won't really look after it. But you got to keep in mind you've got a team like Astana, which might still have Fulsang pretty close up. We spoke about that stage where Demar will not survive, 
And there's a hill there about 10 kilometers from the line. I might expect a full sun to attack on that kind of terrain and be more offensive on the hilly side of things compared to the mountains, which obviously suit him better. She's an article decision article at this stage. Oh man, this is this is difficult. This is really difficult. I would love to say that there are a few riders that are potential people to win this from the breakaway, but it's really hard to come up with any of them. I'm I'm going to dare and say Thomas the end, which is mainly because I feel like the competition in breakaways is much less than the Tour de France. We've still got a Nicolas Ede. We've still got the likes of Guerrero and such. Maybe a Gebrechtsabir, because that guy in Torino was really good in the breakaways as well for NTT. So I'm curious what he can do here as well. I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing him in this Grand Tour. Ben O'Connor was uh, supposed to be one of the uh, GC people in the past for dimension data and ntt now he's he's kind of fell off that podium step he hasn't been up there since yeah for a while now but maybe he can do something on the copy of bartali was pretty terrible so i it's a tough one i think i'm going to go for either thomas Gent or his teammate harm van hoeken okay i'm gonna hold you to thomas Gent. that's who i'm writing down stage 13 i've got a wild pick for this stage uh, from Serbia, Serbia to Monselice, 192 k's there, inland, start or starting at the coast and then going inland, and it is pancake flat. They got two intermediate sprints until 158 k's into this 192 k stage. They hit the Rocolo climb, 4.3 k's at 8%. Then a descent, short valley, uh, where I think they do a lap of the finish line. Maybe no, they don't. That's a lie. Uh, short valley, and then they do a two-kilometer climb at ten percent descent, and then about a ten to twelve-kilometer run into the finish, flat run into the finish. And my pick for this stage, attacking on that last climb, and or maybe on the crest, gapping them on the descent, is Vincenzo Nibali. I think wins this stage. Um, after Ciccone, Brambia and co light it up for him on the two climbs and try and expose Thomas, etc. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's possible he's got a team that can really do stuff on these kind of stages. He's going to need it from these kind of stages, I think, as well, to try and light it up against Thomas. But I don't see Thomas not being able to follow. And additionally... I don't see him getting a loan over the top. And if Nibali doesn't get a loan over the top, he's going to need something like in Yorkshire where he's able to ride away. But in this duo, they're going to be looking at him. In Yorkshire, he was not the main favorite with Froome and Contador there. So they weren't looking at him at that moment. And he was able to ride away on that stage. But I don't see that happening on this kind of stage for a, a Vincenzo Nibali. But I I do want to... Uh, God damn it. Don't get me to say Matthews again. Please start list. Give me another name. Nah, it's too it's too hard for Matthews. Ten percent climb. I think Trek are gonna make it hard. I am not sure. Uh, he can't win. He can't be winning every stage. Um and why not Ulysses if it's as well? Um then maybe you're okay. right. Maybe we I'll give another name. <laughs> okay. I'll give another name. 
I think Matthews will survive, but I think Davide Ballerini is going to win this one. He was good on the Ooh. stage Lemko Evenepoel one in the Tour de Polonia, and that was basically a hill stage. And he got over hills that were indeed quite steep. So you never know. Ballerini is my, uh, my written down name for this one. Looking at the stage after that, we have stage 14. That is the second time trial. And it goes from Conegliano to, oh boy, Valdo Biadene. I think that is indeed how you pronounce it. It is a solid 34.1 kilometers long. So I think equal length to the San Marino one of last year. But the profile is quite different. We start off relatively flat for the first six-ish kilometers. We've got a climb then. It is 1.1 kilometers at 12.1%. So a catfall climb. That is a pretty tough one, extremely steep. So that is surely going to matter. And I don't know if that's going to hurt potentially Ghana or Dennis or anything in their uh, in their battle here, but that's going to be a tough one. Then after that, it's relatively flat towards a good 25 kilometers into the uh, into the race. Then we've got two kilometer climb of like 5%, 5.4%. Not really the hardest of climbs, but it's going to matter after that initial bump in the road. I call it a bump now, but it's 12%. And after that, Two kilometer climb, a small downhill section of like a few hundred meters going up again for a bit. Seems like it's about three kilometers ish at two, three percent. Not really a, a real climb, but a rolling false flat uphill. And then we start the descent to the finish line. And that that descent is about a good three to four, five kilometers long. So the last 500 meters are flat to the line, I think. It doesn't look like it is uphill. Maybe a tiny bit falls flat, but that first uh, that first hill is going to be a real decider in this time trial. If Ghana and Dennis can get over that in proper fashion, then they're going to be good here. But I would start looking at other riders as well, because that is one really, really tough one to crack. We haven't spoken about Mikkel Bjergen breakaways. I think this one doesn't fit him, but I'm going to run out of those two riders, and I'm going to call out two Americans as my favorites for this stage. And that is Brandon McNulty for UAE. Climber with decent time trial capabilities. I think he is here as GC leader of UAE, even if they don't notice it yet. So gonna gonna be curious if he can actually uh, come out and do well that way. But looking at his Palmares, he's won time trials before. He's decent at them on, on the proper level that World Tour is right now. But one of the guys I also want to name is a winner of a time trial in the Giro 2019. And that was the last time trial. Yes, indeed. Verona to Verona. Chad Hager. I think Chad Hager is going to win this stage. In this stage, Grant Thomas is going to win by a pretty comfy margin, I think. I think second will be second or third will be Jakob Fulsang. On this sort of profile, he did did well in, I think, Andalusia ITT, similar to this, with a climb or two in it. It's a hard climb as well. 12%, 1.1K is 12% climb. It's interesting having that sort of climb um, in a stage such as this. But I'm not sure if I like it or not. Um, if Evan Apollo was here, he certainly would have been doing a pretty, pretty good job on this uh, ITT. But I think 
Grant Thomas takes the Maglio Rosa on this stage by a small margin. I'm not sure who would have been holding it up to this point. I don't think it would have been him. But yeah, I think he wins the stage, takes the Maglio Rosa just before the main part of the, the, the third week and the real body of this year at Italia. Um, I'm not sure about your picks, Benji. But again, you've not been sure about my picks either. That's what makes this, this preview show beautiful. Uh, the next stage... Stage 15, 185Ks, more like a Tour de France stage, actually, uh, with kind of three regular climbs than a not-so-steep sort of mountaintop finish. It's category, it's, yeah, flattish, and then a Category 2 climb, 10Ks at 5.6% valley, 7.4Ks at 7.7% valley, 9.2Ks at 5% false flat descent, uh, and then the... Piancavallo climb, 14.3 Ks at like mm, 8%, but it's got some steep sections in there. There's like a couple of kilometers in the middle that average like 10.8%. So this would be an interesting place for a rider on GC to try and launch an attack in the first third of that climb and try and gain some real time on GC. Uh, who that is, it's hard to say, you know, when... When you're this deep into a Grand Tour, so many things will have changed in the two weeks preceding this that you don't know where everyone is on GC. Maybe it's Thomas that has to attack someone because he's far back on GC. Who knows? Uh, but the man who I think will attack and attack early and no one will be able to bring back is Simon Yates. And I think Miguel Angel Lopez, if there's a breakaway and he's lost a lot of time, I think Lopez could be winning this stage. But I... Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to see how that would work in practice. And I, I think it'll be Simon Yates winning this. Um, and I don't think maybe I've missed out on an obvious breakaway. But, yeah, that's that's my pick. Oh, um, I wouldn't say Lopez. I would dare to say that I, I would like to see Vlasov conquer this one. But liking and doing is different. And Thomas, if he's... Well, on paper, he's in pink right now. So, as you said, on the time trial, totally forgot about Thomas. Fully forgot about Thomas in that time trial. So, he's definitely going to be up there. But for this climb, <laughs> I would dare to... Hmm, I dare to put... Yet, Thomas is one of my favorites for this stage. But I'm going to say Vlazov anyway, just because I feel like it. I think Thomas will um, will be drinking too much the evening before after that victory in the time trial. Probably not, most likely not. Totally impossible that he does that, but that's my excuse for picking Vlasov. Eh? Because, um, yeah, if, if there's one climb where he can strike, I feel like this one is it. It is steep from the start. He was good in Lombardia, so I'm pulling that through towards this one. He was good on the Malvon too. It's a bit of a different climb though, so can't compare it really. As you said... The starting section more steeper than the last section. I think Vlasov is going to uh, going to try and take this one. And if Fulsang already is seen as a lower end GC rider together with Lopez, then they're going to be the ultimate way to launch him towards uh, a potential stage win here. So Alexander Vlasov, I think, is going to be the winner on Pianca Vela, Vielo, whatever, something like that. <laughs> I could see that happening. 
Um, I think, yeah, I think it'll be the GC candidates and, yeah, one of the big guns will be taking it out as well. Stage 16, Udine to San Daniele del Friuli. I think there's a development team called Friuli. Not sure if they're from the same area. Yes. Oh, that is correct. I got something right. 230 k's long, a beast of a stage. I got one man for this. I already knew the minute I saw the length and the profile, there could only be one man winning this. It starts with flat and then a 10.1k climb at 7.5% and then it's dotted with 3km and 4km climbs at like 7-9%. to They do their Monte di Ragogna. They rep that like three times. It's an intermediate sprint somewhere, like two-thirds of the way in. Definitely won't be the sprinters competing for that. And the last rep they do is of the 3km 9% climb and then they descend it is with about eh, 15Ks, 14Ks to go, and then a, a flat finish, uh, a flat run into the finish, but actually an uphill last kilometre. And uh, Jakob Fultang's winning this stage. I don't even care if there's a breakaway or not. I just I look at this and I think Jakob Fultang, um, and the only other contender maybe, Yuan Almeida. The names you named are great, and this is going to be one hell of a stage once again, like, Every time I open one of these profiles again, I'm like, this is so much better than the Tour de France profile. This whole Grand Tour is so well made. It's, oh my God, I love Giro profiles. Hands down, the best Grand Tour when it comes to the routes and when it comes to the profiles. And, well, you're saying the likes of a, uh, a full song winning this? Definitely up there, definitely up there. But I'm going to go for a rider that is expected to be a GC candidate for top five-ish. And we haven't named him too much yet. Wilco Kelderman. I think that he's going to be winning this stage because he's good on these steeper climbs. And he's also got the time trial, which he can do well in beforehand. Kreisbeck and Kelderman, we haven't spoken about it. Decent time trialists as well. So they're going to be good in the time trials. But Kelderman, I'm writing him down for this stage. Uh, it's it's a tough one though. It's it's such a a difficult stage to expect who can win. But like you said, we've also got actually on the finish line a tiny bit of a of a hill to the line, but it's not that crazy. So maybe I am totally overrating that. The last kilometer is just falls flat uphill. So yeah, I'm gonna say Calderman. I just feel it. I just feel it. But the stage after that, stage 17, is where the magic starts. Absolutely beautiful, these parkours. And the first climb that we take on is the following. We've got the Forcella Valbona, which is 21.4 kilometers at 7%. A 20-plus kilometer climb, not above 2K at all. So not in the favor of the Colombians, but this time around we don't exactly have too many Colombians fighting for the overall victory. The next climb is about 10-ish kilometers of plateau section after the initial climb and that's the Monte Bondone 20.5 kilometers once again 6.5 percentage and then after that we've got a smaller fruit cat climb in a large valley section towards the final ascension and it's not really a, a false plateau section after that fruit cat climb there's about 15 to 20 well I'd say a 15 kilometer false flat to the start of the end climb which is 9.5 kilometers at 6.7%. That show not the steepest, the Maldona, the Campiglio, 
And I'm going to dare to say that this is where Vincenzo Nibali starts his adventure. I think Thomas will win this stage, but Nibali is going to be better already, and I think he's going to be ready to uh, to battle it out on the coming stages. So I think Nibali's not going to be far off, but Thomas is most likely winning this one. So this stage 17, it starts in Bassano del Grappa. Uh, we're obviously familiar with the Campivio, uh, but yeah, Bassano del Grappa, that's actually where I'm pretty sure the... Um, Lacole Italian factory is at the base of Monte Grappa where they make the Lacole kits. So nicely tying into Lacole there. And uh, that's why the Giro is so important to them. And yeah, it's kind of a shame they're not doing Monte Grappa. But as you said, Benji, uh, still a pretty, pretty awesome parkour. I think, I think it's going to be a breakaway again. I just, I just have a feeling that there's not going to be much control in this year's Giro. Like we would see, that, like who's the Yumba Visma that's going to bring back a break? Um, but then again, the counterpoint to that is, well, who are the fantastic climbers going up the road trying to, yeah, try, trying to get in the break and gaining six to seven minutes and getting a big buffer? I think Rafael Micah is going to get into a break, and I think he will have lost enough time on GC where he's not going for, yeah, I mean, I'll be disappointed and I can see it. He'll be like sixth on GC, three, four minutes back, and they don't let him in the break. But... I'm saying what I want to happen, and I want Micah. I mean, maybe the last climb's not hard enough, but yeah, I want Micah to do well here. Um, I'm kind of changing it. I'm, I'm changing my pick. I'm changing it, and I'm changing it to Luca Wackerman for Vini. Um, <laughs> he's my pick because, as you said, Benji, you have convinced me. He's if he's only got four minutes, they're not going to let him go on the break. So it doesn't make sense to pick him. Um, and you the big stages. Me, though, um, yeah. about the fact that I think. A breakaway <laughs> might win this. So we're convincing each other here. Benji, it's and, like um, crack. It's like crack to Benji. You mentioned breakaways. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah, that's doesn't take much convincing. Uh, I think that I said before I want to see Gebrag Zabir win a stage, but I don't think it's going to be this one. I'm not sure which one it's going to be, to be honest. But I want to talk about Movistar for this stage as well, but in general, because they've got a pretty weak team here. They've got Cataldo, Carretero, Pedrero. Rubio, Samitier, Sepulveda, Torres, Filella. Sepulveda was uh, doing GC for, I don't even remember what team, like like a good five years ago. But Cataldo, I think he's going to go for these, uh, that breakaway prize because he's in the breakaway so much and he's most likely going to be in the breakaway every few days on this one, but I don't see him winning the stage. Carretero and Pedrero were amazing for Carapaz and Landa and Lothias, Giro, but I'm curious what they can do for themselves if they go for GC or for stages. I think Hector Carretero will win this stage, but I would like to add to the fact that Ainer Augusto Rubio, um, he's the guy that is also on that team. He is a pretty young guy. I think he was second in the Giro U23 last year. So that is surely a talent, 22 years old, 22 years old. Uh, he finished that Giro U23 just behind Ardia which is that talent that UAE bought up. So I think he's going to be interesting to watch in this Giro. Just don't know where. But yeah, Hector Carretero is my pick for this one, for this stage at least. I will mention Peo Bilbao. I think if he's showing the form he had in the Tour de France, uh, Bilbao and Byron McLaren, I think he could be up there as well in that sort of breakaway. I'd expect him to be trying to get into it. Obviously, if Leonard Kamner was here, he'd be winning all these stages too, or Danny Martinez. But stage 18, 
from Pinzolo to Laghi de Di Cancano, 207Ks. Bear in mind in the Tour de France, there was like one stage over 200Ks, and we've got, I've lost count of how many stages are over 200Ks. The stage starts with a 14.2-kilometre, 6% climb. <laughs> like, I can't see I can't see any flat. The stage starts like that. Then there's a descent, some valley, you know, a rolling, oh, no, it's not, I was going to say a rolling climb. It's a genuine climb, 6Ks at 5.2%. It just doesn't look like a real climb because it goes straight into the Hoffman Joch, 8.6Ks at 9%. This is in the first 66 kilometres we've had these three climbs. Long descent into Lana, then a uphill, oh no, a false flat, nothing too serious, and then they're going to do the Paso de uh, Selvio, you'll all be familiar with the Stelvio, 24.8Ks, 7.5%, up to 2,750 metres in altitude, Long descent for about 30 kilometers into Val di Dentro, uh, and then another climb, the Torre di Fraele, Fraele uh, nine kilometers at 6.8%. Wild stage, and I know already who Benji's picked for this stage, um, but we're going to find out on this stage whether Geraint Thomas is going to win this year or whether he's going to even he could miss out on the podium, uh, and who on Ineos could really be supporting him responding to, presumably, attacks from Nibali, Vlasov, maybe even Miguel Angel Lopez, Fulsang, Yates, etc. I think it's going to be an incredible stage. The calories they're going to burn on this stage, it's it's going to be a long one. Um, and my pick is Miguel Angel Lopez. Uh, I don't know if it's from a break. I don't know if, whether it's from the GC guys. I don't really care because if he shows his Col de la Lowe's form on Stelvio, then he's going to get a pretty handy gap over those other riders and they'll be cooked at the top. Um, I'm worried about Kreuzweig on that descent, particularly if Nibali attacks him. Nibali will have to attack him on that descent or should attack that group on the descent just just because, because Thomas and Kreuzweig, I wouldn't say it's their strengths. Uh, Fulsang and Vlasov are pretty good though. But yeah, it's going to be a really good stage. Um, maybe I've missed a breakaway in there somewhere. I feel like... Even if someone like Kanga and Clark go up the road from EF or Caicedo, the it's such a long stage. They'll get brought back by the GC guys on Stelvio or on the the last climb anyway. What do you think is going to happen, Benji? Vincenzo Nibali attacks on the Stelvio, not the descent, and wins the stage. And okay. <laughs> he, he's not going to drop everybody on the Stelvio. I, I, I knew you knew it. <laughs> so I was maybe going to ask you to say it for me, but... <laughs> this reminds me of um, stage 20, 2016 also. This is what I see as a Giro stage, having one huge climb, a downhill to a smaller climb leading into the finish. This is such an MO of the Giro when it comes to profiles. And every single time, this brings for an amazing stage because this forces GC people to attack early on that HC climb and it always does that because Ineos does not have the team to control a 25km Stelvio and Nibali is going to open it early. He will not be close to pink yet, I expect. And this is the stage where he can change that. I don't think he's going to take minutes on the rest. I think he's going to win it by a tiny margin, but it's going to be tough to drop everybody. But I think Vincenzo Nibali has just written all over it for me and yeah, maybe it's because I'm totally biased with Vincenzo Nibali, but this is his stage for me. His 
His style applies to the stage so perfectly, attacking rather early, maybe sometimes a bit too early, and then sometimes he gets countered, but on this kind of stage, he can get countered on the Stelvio and still be pretty good on the last climb. And it's a third week already, so this is where he has to strike. But Vincenzo and Iboli, yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm saying it. This is going to be one hell of a stage on one condition. If the Stelvio actually happens. There's currently oh, yeah. huge piles of snow on this one. <laughs> and, <laughs> man, that's going to be pretty oh, tough to ride Why through, are you going to do that? Yeah, sorry to like drop that in at this point, but this is like the first stage where I'm like, yeah, this is where it matters. 2.7 kilometers high, and Cold and Yellow in stage 20 as well. Those are going to be the the unsure ones, but I think that the organizers said that their worst case scenario going to, first of all, use those snow car thingies that get the snow out of the way. I have no clue what the English word is, but Snowmobile. snow car thingies. Okay, snowmobiles. Thank you very much. English lessons with Lantern Rouge. That's a new podcast <laughs> coming to you very soon. A spinoff. Um, and French lessons as well, by the way, from him. But anyway, we've got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry I had to do it um they were going to use the snowmobiles just ahead of the riders or like a few kilometers before the riders to make sure that the riders can get through but I don't think oh, it's October man no it's not October it's yeah it's October yeah it's October already oh it's my October, goodness yeah. it's fucking October um <laughs> time I'm, I'm so worried I'm so worried about this day it's there's already there's already snow on the on the on the route, like heavy snow, not just like a light little dusting, like a lot of snow. And I know Australian, I'm not an expert on snow, but it looks like a lot of snow. And this is in th- nearly three weeks, so we've got another three weeks from today, full three weeks. It's only going to get worse. Uh, I worry about the Vuelta climbs as well, and that's why Thomas is such a heavy favourite because. The stages where he could lose like four minutes and a lot of time that he's gained on the ITTs, what if they have to take the climbs out and it's just a midi mountain Giro d'Italia without these beast stages? Um, and I presume, you know, if they, if they get to this point to stage to stage eighteen and they just have to amend the parkour a little bit, or yeah, then it's yeah, still going to catch. As plan B. But open an extra climb in between like the valley and and instead of the Stelvio. But I don't want to see that profile. I want to see the Stelvio. So come on, snow, go away. Or at least like stay there, but stay there and not snow on the day so they can get it out of the way somehow. Yeah, let's, I mean, fingers crossed, hoping they can do it. I mean, it's crazy we've had this many races so far this year. Um, Didn't expect we'd have as many, any races and we've had so many. So. Anything could happen in 2020. Maybe there won't be any snow. Just so Vincenzo Nibali, you know, Italy shines upon him. The sun shines upon him. Stage 19 from Morbegno to Asti, 253 kilometers. It's going to be a bunch sprint. There's no real climbs. It's pretty much flat. It seems like they're moving from, <laughs> like they're going from uh, Bergamo across the lakes, uh, the sort of Lake Como into Lombardia, uh, but they're not really doing any of the climbs and they're going all the way into Asti. And who did I pick? They're going to have the most tired legs in this stage. So who knows who'll still be there. 
whether the sprinters will have cracked, missed a time cut the day before. Hopefully we won't be time cut watching again. Um, there's only there's two intermediate sprints as well. So maybe people are going for bonus seconds. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. I've picked Fernando Gaviria um, just to break up my DeMar train. And yeah, maybe because he, he's a, he might have recovered a little bit better after the climbs before, the days before. Um, but yeah, Fernando Gaviria is my pick. I think as well. And I'm not saying this because I picked DeMar before. I think just in general that uh, they're going to be head-to-head on like every single one of the sprints. We can say either one end and get away with it. But I think that uh, uh, Gaviria or, or DeMar, it's, there's nothing quantifiable for me that can now say who of the two will win this kind of stage. But I guess I'm, I'm picking Gaviria yeah, or DeMar. Just both of them. They're both going to win. They're both going to win stages. One of the, you know, they'll be winning stages. I think it'll be interesting to see whether the Chicli Amino, the points jersey, will be in the balance on these stages. That'll be a competition I'm keenly watching. Uh, I've got to have my pick for that later. Stage 20, after that long transition <laughs> stage from Alba to Sestriere, Benji already mentioned Nicole Del Nielo. Nicole Del Nielo. Del Nielo. Jesus, struggling here. Long, flat, 76 point. 5Ks of like false flat uphill. Then they start that 23.6K, 6.5% climb up to 2,730 metres altitude. Long descent. Then the Col de Lisoire, which has been in the Tour de France before. I think that was, oh, I can't remember when it was most recently in the Tour, 13Ks at 7.5% descent. Then uh, 7.2Ks at 6.5%, a Category 2 after the two Cat 1s. Don't know how they're not HC climbs. Maybe they don't have that competition. Is that just in the Tour de France? Must be. Uh, and then a descent and then the long climb into Sestriere. So a beast of a stage again. Sestriere climbs not as steep as the other ones though. 11K is at 6.1%. Uh, it's a little bit easier, not up to high altitude or anything like that. And my pick for this stage is Alexander Vlasov. If Agnello was at the end... I'd be picking Lopez or may, maybe another Colombian. Um, but Did you get the joke? Yeah, or? I think, no, <laughs> we don't have jokes on the Lantern Roof Siphon podcast. Okay, so uh, the reason I'm calling out Kreisweg for the people that don't know is um, I said it at the start, I think. This is the uh, Cold on Yellow is um, the one where he uh, lost his pink jersey in 2016 where he crashed into that ice wall. So this is the main obstacle for him. And if he can get through this, then he can get through anything. But I don't think it's going to be in ping this time. So maybe that's... But can he get through an ice wall? <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing at this, but it's... <laughs> I'm an Eberly fan, so I can. Um, I think Vlasov is going to win the stage as well. And it kind of depends. We don't know what his capabilities are for three weeks. It's unknown to us. We haven't seen it yet from Alexander Vlasov. Last year, the guy was riding for... Gazprom, so it's quite a it's quite an upbringing. So it's going to be pretty amazing if he can just Pogacar himself to two stage wins, like uh, we're mentioning here. But yeah, Vincenzo and Ivoli, uh I, I like personally, I need to say it, but yeah, Vincenzo and Ivoli, come on, I, I can't not say Vincenzo and Ivoli here. Come on, it, it's okay, such Vinci- a beautiful profile again, and. It's stage 20, and that is, that is, yeah, Vincenzo and Ivoli. 
Nibali, 25 minutes back on GC, gets into the breakaway <laughs> and wins this stage up to Sestriere, um, according to Benji. <laughs> I think Vlasov will win out of the GC group. Um, but, yes, that moves us into stage 21, the ITT, the final stage. I like how they finish on a stage where the GC can actually be decided. Pancake flat in Milan. You should be familiar with it at this point. Now, if it's raining, I li- as I said, I lived in Milan, very cultured young person, very accomplished, got leather-bound books, etc. This 16K time trial, if it's raining, someone could go down hard. Those streets and the tram tracks are sketchy as hell, and we've seen it in the past, and that's why they can't have a stage into Milan. It'd be too dangerous. I'm pretty sure, like, they've might... Have they had stages in Milan before? Not like a, a, I mean, a proper bunch sprint like they do in the Tour into Paris. It's too sketchy. So I hope it's not raining. And it's going to be like late October at this point. Um, so it very well could be in the middle of autumn. And I hope no, none of the GC contenders have their day ruined or their Giro ruined. But my pick for this stage is Grant Thomas because. I think, I think Ghana will be. I think he'll be very, very tired. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I've picked Thomas. To be honest, no, I'm not. I'm not picking Thomas. I think it's going to be. I'm going to have to go with something a bit more, a bit more outrageous. Bodnar, Bodnar for Bora Hansgrohe. Who? Hey, he knows. Hear me out. He's a good time trialist. You're right, but stage 17 Tour de France that he won. That was, oh, maybe it was stage 20 ITT in Marseille. Back in I think 2017, that was very late in deep in the third week of Tour de France. He won that TT. Um, I think if he was going to win a TT, it'd be, it'd be something like this. He beat I think some pretty handy TT riders in the uh, yeah he beat Tony Martin. He beat Froome Kwiatkowski in that stage. It was 23k's long, um, so a little bit longer. Yeah, I'm going with Bodnar, which obviously you know. Ghana is going to be the favourite or should be the favourite, but maybe he's just cooked after. I've not seen Filippo Ghana after Stelvio. Like, what's he going to look like after that? So who knows? That's why I'm going with Bodnar. Yeah, I, I kind of don't know. Uh, hmm. I think it's either... Yeah. I got to go with Ghana as well, but I think there's going to be like a, a top five of the likes of a Thomas de Gendor or Jos van Emden, who are good at these last week time trials. Chad Hager, like I said earlier on. I think we're going to see people that we don't necessarily see, well, winning time trials be up there quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I think if Thomas is in pink, he wins this time trial. If Thomas is not in pink, then he does not win this time trial. And... That's maybe like a bit of superstition, but I think that finishing in pink gives you a bit of extra power in the last time trial. It just feels like it to me. So I'm going to say, fuck it, I'm switching it around. Victor Kampenarts, uh, I believe oh. he's going to step out from the dead. And Victor That's Kampenarts a good pick. That is a good to, pick. Uh, be good on this one. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he's obviously experienced in Grand Tours, I think. But yeah, that's the end of the stages, our long stage analysis. I hope that informs your selections for the, the fantasy teams. We now have to give our overall picks for 
GC, KOM, youth jersey, and the points classification. I'm going to go first with my GC pick, and I'll justify this as well. I think Stefan Kreisweich wins this year at Italia um, over what? over Thomas and Yates. Uh, I think he's going to be Mr. Consistent. I think it's it's a hard year, and I think he's just going to be really consistent. I think he's going to stay within route. The closest range of Thomas out of the other GC contenders in the ITTs, and, and I'm, I don't back full sang in these beastly stages. Um, I prefer Vlasov there, but then Vlasov not as good in the ITT. Kreuzweich's better than him in the ITT. And I don't think he's going to win a stage, but and I don't think he's going to really have a dominant performance, but I think he'll just be the most consistent, and I expect... I just can't see Thomas not shelling a lot of time in one of those stages if they if they do go ahead as planned. Uh, whereas Kreisvike, yeah, I think Kreisvike will be able to um, stay in contention with Flasov or not lose as much time to him if Flasov goes crazy on a stage. And I just don't see Nibali being on that on on that greater level. And Simon Yates and the ITT, I think we'll lose a lot of time. So I'm picking Stefan Kreisvike, the redemption arc. Honestly, my initial reaction was, what? But thinking about it, it's a really good pick. And on paper, Thomas is head down favorite. But I don't like supporting the favorites. I've said that before in most of my predictions that you have seen on this channel. And considering... Well, you picked, you picked Pogaccia before the tour. You picked him at big odds. Yes. And I think I'm going to take... An outsider as well this time around. It might include some bias, but I think Vincenzo Nibali is winning this. And I think it's because the third week is the most important part of this Grand Tour. And the third week is always his best part of Grand Tour. And I think this profile is too beautiful not to be won by Vincenzo Nibali. So, yeah. I am extremely biased in that, but on one occasion I do feel like the third week might bring him to that. So... Once again, amazing profile. I just can't stop talking about it, but I think Vincenzo Nibali. And it's his best chance at the end of his sort of the latter yes. end of his career. This is this is, this is his great, great chance for him to win a Grand Tour again. It's, it's a weak chance, field, in my opinion. Yeah, a profile that, apart from the ITTs, at least it does have those monster stages in there to really go hard at Thomas if he has the legs. So yeah, I mean, I don't think that's ridiculous. So you're justified in picking him. But yeah, I, Thomas is too short the odds. I just a guy that crashes so much. It's going to be wet. I think this autumn weather. It's going to be wet a lot. I just can't get around that sort of. I know this is our pick to win. It's not a betting preview, but still, yeah, I just I worry about Thomas a little bit. The KOM winner, I think, will be Peo Bill Bow. Lacole didn't tell me to say that. That was my pick ages ago. Bill Bow. The minute they said that he was going to go. I realized he was going to the Giro. I, I looked at his form from Tour de France, and I think he's going to consistently get into breakaways, just like he did in the Tour de France, and mop up KOM points where he can um, and try and really win that jersey and maybe get a stage here or there. I don't even know if LeCol are able to make... Like, if he has to wear the, the KOM jersey, whether they get to make it, I don't think that's how it works, unfortunately. Um, that was a big, big de- sort of debate in the Tour de France stage 20. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Bill Bow for KOM jersey. I'm sure you'll have a better thought-out pick for this, Benji. I think I said earlier on that 
I would either go for Geoffrey Bouchard and um, Francois Bidard, the Algezer riders, and looking at their history, the issue is that I don't remember which of the two was good at the Vuelta Espana. One of them won the KOM there, but it is Bouchard. Geoffrey Bouchard is going to win the KOM. He won the KOM jersey at La Vuelta Ciclista de España 2019, and I think he's going to do it again here. He's got the kick at intermediate sprints, well, KOM intermediate sprints, so KOM gates to take those points. Looking at the profiles, I said it earlier on, it looks like in the earlier parts, a GC guy might take that early on, but towards the end, I think it's going to change with all these major climbs. So Geoffrey Bouchard is my pick for that one, and I think that he's got a, a real opportunity of doing so. Youth jersey, Vlasov, I don't see how he doesn't win it unless he crashes. Is there any other really main contenders for it, Benji? Almeida, I guess? Yeah, Almeida's my uh, my secondary pick there, but I think that Vlasov is on paper better than him. I do think that Almeida's a better time trialist, so I'm curious if that plays out in some way. But on paper, Vlasov should be able to gain enough time in the mountains compared to compared to Almeida to uh, take White home. Is it White in this one? I think it's White in this one as well. To take White home as well uh, in the Giro. Yeah, and Masnada remembering he's too old for that jersey. Um, I thought he. I think of him as a young rider, but yeah, he's. I think he's twenty six. Sprint jersey. I think Demar. Uh, I think I picked him for like three or four stages, and maybe I'm. Matthews has got to be the favourite for it, I guess. But I think Demar. Now I haven't gone full nerd and researched like the proper point allocation. I did for. Oh, you did. Okay, well, for the end of stage wins and that whether it's heavily weighted towards stage wins versus intermediates, but yeah, I think Demar is going to have a really, really good Giro um, and win and be up there more than we expect, even on harder stages. So he's my pick. First of all, I'd like to say how the points are given because I'm apparently a big enough nerd to actually uh, spend my time on that. And once again, a great shout out to La Flamme Rouge who basically posted this this afternoon. <laughs> the flat stages got 50 points for the winner. The hill stages, 25. And the mountain stages and time trials give 15 points each at the top. So uh, at the top, at the finish, I mean. Um, I think... I think in general, I would say that the sprinters are coming out of this one with the best papers it depends on how they see the uh, the actual classifications of the stages but i think we're pretty well on the fact that the ones matthews can win are relatively hill stages while the ones demar and so forth can win are actual sprint stages i think it's going to be a close battle between matthews and demar but i would dare to say matthews takes the uh chiclamino jersey home we got sagan in there as well i think he's going to disappoint Okay, yeah, I mean, if Sagan doesn't win a stage after the big fuss being made about him going to the Giro and he didn't win a stage at the Tour, that will certainly not be a great season for him. But yeah, my picks, Kreuzweig, Bilbao, Vlasov, Demar, Benji's picks, I think, were Nibali, Bouchard, Vlasov and Matthews for GCKOM Youth and Sprint. 
This was our Monster Giro d'Italia preview. I think we've done our best to not leave any stone unturned, except for obviously not mentioning Eli Viviani up to this point on Cofidis. If he doesn't win a stage, they'll need to get a refund on his salary. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed this. It's 5am now in Brisbane. We've just punched out the Bink Bank into the Giro preview. Thanks to LaCole for partnering with us for this preview and the all the Giro podcasts that we're going to be bringing out. I get so excited to do the, the stage recaps and talk to Benji about them. I hope you enjoy listening to them throughout the Giro and we appreciate all your support on the podcast so far. We couldn't have got to this stage without your support and all the crazy amount of reviews and ratings we have. I'll let Benji take it out from here because I'm going to go to sleep. Okay, first of all, good night, but also the fact that if you have an opinion on who could actually win this Giro d'Italia, who could win stages, which stages they could win, give us your predictions. I'm always curious to see what you guys think. And we give our predictions on what we know about it. We don't know everything, obviously. So if you have any hidden intel that we don't know about, shout it at us so we can adapt our picks accordingly for the daily previews and so forth. So genuinely curious what you guys think regarding this Giro d'Italia. Give us your picks and tell us what you think about this preview because we're always open to constructive feedback on how to make our stuff better and better over time. We're looking forward for yet another Grand Tour with the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast and I hope we see you there. Thank you very much. Ciao.